You are now listening to the Bayshore Community Church Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God, connect to people, and to serve the community. Thank you for joining us today and wherever you are listening. We hope that this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Our prayer is that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, Bayshore. Uh, Millsburg, good to see you guys. So glad you're here this morning. Great worship this morning. The band did awesome today. As always, thank you so much for being here. Came through the rain and cold and messy out there. And what a great crowd we got today. Wonderful group at our Family College campus this morning, as I preached here earlier this morning. Just so good to see everybody. Uh, and uh, hey, I wanted to mention uh, Mike Harris's mom and dad are here from Virginia. Would you wave at me back there? Mike Harris is our media director here. Would you welcome them from Virginia. Thank you so much for being here with us. Mike Harris is such a big part of Bayshore, and we're so grateful for what he does here. Well, big game today. How many Raven fans we got out there? Got some Raven fans out there. It's going to be a great day. I'm actually, uh, I have an NFC team and an AFC team. I'm a Packers fan and a Ravens fan. And if they'd gotten in the Super Bowl together, I don't know what I've done. I've probably left town. You know, it's been too complicated to be here. But I uh, hope you enjoy the game today. It's going to be a great, great day of football and just looking forward to uh, watching some football today. So, hey, we're in a series, actually finishing our series today called Reset. And this is a series that's based on the book of Micah and resetting for the new year, getting started right in 2024. We talked about a lot of different things. And today we're going to be talking about one of the great themes in the book of Micah, and that is the theme of uh, regret, dealing with regret, dealing with guilt, dealing with failure, and moving forward. You know, you can't move forward if you're looking backwards all the time. And that's what we find in the book of Micah. It's such a great book teaching us about what really happens, you know, uh, to us when we kind of get off track. And all of us get off track sometimes. And, and, and when you look at the book of Micah, it's really a book that has a lot to say about judgment. There's a lot of judgment in the book of Micah about, you know, Israel had messed up. And Micah came as a prophet. And he said to them, 700 years before Christ, he said to the northern kingdom, which capital was Samaria, he said, listen, hey, you guys have gone off track. You're worshiping other gods, and you haven't repented. I've, the Lord sent prophets to them to reward, warn them, and they stayed the course of moving away from the Lord. And so the Lord was going to send judgment on the northern kingdom, and that is uh, through the Assyrian uh, country, the, the, the empire of Assyria, and they came in 722 uh, BC, and they conquered the, the, the region of Samaria, the northern kingdom, and the capital, sort of like our Washington, D.C., being uh, captured and burned down. That's what happened in 722 uh, BC, as Micah had warned. And you can go to the land of Israel today, you could go up into the north, and you can actually see ruins of the city of Samaria from 722 B.C. Uh, it was on a hill, and when the Assyrians came, they destroyed the city, and they rolled the stones into the valley. And you can see those stones still in the valley. So Micah prophesied these things that were going to happen. He also prophesied to the northern kingdom, whose capital, or the northern kingdom was Samaria. He also prophesied to the southern kingdom, whose uh, capital was Jerusalem. And he said to Jerusalem, because you have adopted the ways of the northern kingdom and you've worshipped other gods, judgment's going to come on you. It's going to come later 
Uh, and so in 586 BC, the first invasion of the Babylonians came. And then 605, the second uh, wave of the Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem, tore down the walls, burned the gates with fire. So this prophet is prophesying about pending judgment coming on the land of Israel because of their waywardness. And here's the thing about, you know, uh, when we look at this book, what does it teach us? It teaches us that when we go offline, when we begin to go away from the Lord, our life gets complicated. Our life gets really complicated. You know, life is good when you're following the Lord. Doesn't mean you're gonna have any tr not going to have any trouble. You know, you're going to have, you know, your car is going to have trouble. You're going to lose loved ones. Things are going to happen in your life. The things in life happens to everybody. But if you're following the Lord, you know, you have this sense of peace and joy, and you can get through it. The Bible says in 1 Peter, he who would see good days... If you want to see, love life and see good days, that describes me to a T. I want to love life and I want to see good days. He said, if you want to love life and see good days, keep your mouth from evil and keep your hands from doing wicked things. In other words, if you will follow the Lord, you're going to have a good life. You're going to have a peaceful life. You're going to have good days. You're going to wake up and you're not going to have any regrets. You're going to have a wonderful, wonderful life. I used to work for this guy when I was in high school, a guy named Sonny Reed. I worked at uh, the Super Thrift grocery store in Seaford. He was the manager. Sonny Reed later on became the administrator of Eagles Nest Church in Milton, and then he became sort of the uh, administrative person to help uh, uh, Bill Salmon start the radio stations and all that. But I worked for Sonny Reed when I was in high school, and Sonny Reed was a devoted Christian, loved the Lord with all of his heart. And he said, one day I was working and I was in the office there and we were talking and he said, you know, Danny, I would serve the Lord even if there wasn't a heaven. I would serve the Lord if, if when you died, that was all there was to it. I would serve the Lord because my life is so good serving the Lord and it's raised the quality of my life. So when you think about, you know, your life, your life gets more complicated when you kind of go away from what the Lord is calling you to do and you get into things you shouldn't be into and you're, the, the quality of your life goes down and that's what happened in the book of Micah. We see in the book of Micah, they, you know, they had been given this wonderful land. They came out of Egypt, if you know the story of Israel, and God had given this beautiful land to them, a land flowing with milk and honey and everything was good and then they got off track and then it got complicated. The Babylonians came to the south and conquered them. The Assyrians came to the north. And so there's all this judgment that's going on in uh, Israel. And Micah's predicting that. And you have to say to yourself, you know, why? Why did God uh, judge Israel? What's the big deal? You know, they're worshiping other gods. What's the big deal? It's because God had given Israel a special mission to be a light to the nations they are to be a light to the Gentile nations. They were to show the world that there is one God, Yahweh, that he's the one God. And they were to model that for the world around them. And they lost their mission and they began to adopt the habits and the practices of the Canaanite nations around them. And they began to worship the other gods and they had neglected their mission. Hey, here's something that we need to remember. We are not called to be shaped by culture. We are called to shape culture.
You know, when you look at everything that's going around you and media, everything's looking around you in the world, you've got to remember, hey, you are called to live differently. I'm called to live differently. When Karen and I lived in um, Florida, they used to have those camellia lizards down there, those little lizards, little green lizards. And we had, uh, outside of our house, we had quamquat trees, these little oranges. We had all these other little tropical plants around our house. It wasn't a great house, but we had all these neat plants around our house, and there were these lizards everywhere. And sometimes they'd get in the house, and that would be a big problem. But those lizards could get on anything. They could get on like a reddish leaf, and they would change the color. Their body would change the color of the leaf that they were on. They could obviously get on a brown stick, and they would turn brown. And they had the capacity to change according to their environment. Now, that's what Israel was. Israel was a camellia lizard. They just changed by becoming what the nations were like when they were called to be distinct. And so, after a while, God allowed judgment to come into the land of Israel. And the Babylonians came and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. The Assyrians came before that and destroyed the city of Samaria. And so, you have this judgment. But the wonderful thing about the book of Micah is it ends in redemption. It ends with promise and it ends with forgiveness and restoration. So, the message of the book of Micah is if you've messed up your life, if you've really sabotaged your future, if you've really messed up big time, then God has a plan to not only forgive you of your sins, but to restore your life and to give you a fresh life. So I want to read to you the verses out of uh, Micah chapter 7 that are important for us to look at today. Micah chapter 7, verse 7 says this, But as for me, I watch in hope for the Lord. I wait for God my Savior. My God will hear me. And then it says in verse 8 of Micah 7, Do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise. Though I sit in darkness, the Lord will be my light. Because I've sinned against him, I will bear the Lord's wrath until he pleads my case and upholds my cause. He will bring me out into the light. I will see his righteousness Then my enemy will see it and will be covered with shame. She who said to me, where is the Lord your God? My eyes will see her downfall. Even now she will be trampled underfoot like mire in the streets. The day for building your walls will come. The day for extending your boundaries. And then it says in verse 18 of chapter 7, who is like who is a god like you who pardons sin and forgives transgression of the remnant of his inheritance you do not stay angry forever but delight to show mercy you will again have compassion on us you will tread our sins underfoot and hurl our iniquities into the depths of the sea you will be faithful to jacob and show love to abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago So when you think about Micah's prophecy, think about this. Think about in the 586 and 605 when the Babylonians come and they tore down the walls, they burned the gates with fire. Jerusalem was a heap of rubble. It was completely messed up. And Micah prophesies. He says the time's coming when the walls will be rebuilt up, when the city will be restored And this happened, we know, in 446 B.C., Nehemiah came in the Old Testament. Nehemiah came, and he led an entourage of people 
and they came and they rebuilt the city of Jerusalem. So God is teaching us through this wonderful book of Micah that when you mess up, we must repent. And when we mess up, our life gets all complicated. But when we repent, God forgives us. And he also brings us to a place of restoration where he puts our life back together again. He restores us. He restores us. What does Psalm say? Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. He puts me back together. Now, I think about, you know, how we think about this whole idea of what we're reading in the book of Micah about sin and judgment and all that. That's such a, an alien thing in our culture. You know, in the book of, uh, the first chapter of the book of Micah, it says that when Micah's prophesying about the judgment that's coming, that he begins to mourn. He begins to wail. He rents his clothes. He tears his clothes. He shaves his head. He goes into mourning for the judgment that's coming. And why is he doing that? He's showing us the heart of God. That God is not a God who's anxious to judge. He can't wait to whack his kids. God is a God who's filled with compassion. And the book of Jeremiah says judgment is his strange work. His strange work. God does not like to judge. He's a God of love and he's a God of mercy. But the book of Micah and all of the Bible really teaches us that God is a God of justice and God is a God of mercy. Oh, both of those things go together and we see it in the book of Micah. So here's the thing that I think you and I struggle with. We struggle with the whole idea of sin and something being wrong. I happen to believe that there are some things that are absolutely always wrong. I believe the 10 commandments were written on stone with the finger of God. And I think it's always wrong to do certain things. And I don't think that like they used to be wrong, but now they're not wrong anymore. I think that there is a truth above ourselves. And I think there are certain things that are wrong. And here's the good thing. When you do something that's wrong, if your heart is right and you're like doing, you know, trying to do the right thing and you step out of line, you do something you shouldn't do, all of a sudden you begin to feel that, that consciousness inside, that your conscious begins to speak to you that you've stepped over the line. You stepped over the line. Years ago, uh, I went shopping for Karen for Christmas one year. This is a long time ago. And there used to be this store in here called Fashion Bug. I don't know if you ever remember Fashion Bug. Fashion Bug was a store. It was a thing. There was one in Seaford, one in Rehoboth. And uh, I, Karen would give me a list of things she wanted for Christmas and liked for Christmas. And I would always go shopping for her. And every year I went shopping for her, all the sales ladies would say, I can't believe you're shopping for your, your wife. That's so wonderful. Why did my husband shop for me? And they'd get mad at their husband when I was out there shopping for Karen. And I just loved shopping for her. And, and uh, so I, I was at Fashion Bug, and I had all this stuff, all this stuff for Karen. And, and I was looking for stuff, and I had them in my arms. And I, evidently I got too close to the front door. And it's got the, you know, those little white things on it that like, you know, if you walk out, it makes the alarm go off. Well, the whole store went off in alarms. You know, I was like too close to the door with these little, you know, white things. And, and all the sales ladies came over there and I thought I was horrified. I didn't know what I did, but the, and, and I was in a place I wasn't supposed to be with that merchandise. And I could just see the paper, you know, the next morning, preacher caught stealing ladies clothes, you know. <laughs> So I was like, oh, my goodness. But see, your conscience works like that. Your conscience tells you 
when you're doing things that you shouldn't do. And that's a good thing. Now, I'm going to say something to you that's going to be absolutely heretical in our culture. There is such a thing as good guilt. There's such a thing as good guilt. You know, if you talk to psychologists today and people that are, you know, in that field, guilt, guilt is bad. You shouldn't feel bad for anything. Well, I disagree with that. I think that there is good guilt. When you're doing something you shouldn't do and you're out of line and your conscience begins to speak to you, that's a good thing. When uh, I'm driving my pickup, and I'm going down the road, and the little uh, uh, maintenance light comes on, the little yellow maintenance light comes on. That light tells me there's something wrong in the engine that I need to get that engine attended to, and I need to change the oil. If I ignore that light over and over and over again, then something's going to go wrong with my vehicle. So good guilt is sent by God to convict us of our sins. Sometimes we say things and do things that we shouldn't do. This week, I, I mean, every week there's like, I'm going through my, my week, I'm trying to follow the Lord, I'm reading my devotions, I'm just being a regular guy like everybody else, and I go through things and sometimes there's something that Lord convicts me of. Now, the other day, I mean, the other day I was talking to Karen about something. I was busy, and there's something going on, and, and I, and I kind of spoke back to her in a little too intense tone. You ever had that happen? A little too intense tone. And she looked at me, and her look said, you better repent right now. <laughs> and I said, honey, I am sorry. I'm just revved up about something. I'm sorry. You know, when your conscience speaks to you, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There is a such thing as good guilt. Good guilt has gotten out of style, and it's good that you feel guilty about some things. So when you feel guilty about things, like, you know, if you're looking at something you shouldn't be looking at on the computer, and you know, you know, and the shades are closed, and the door's locked, and your heart is speaking to you. And that's a tough thing. People struggle with stuff like that. But you got to listen to your conscience. That good guilt is a good thing. If you ever have your smoke detectors, you know, you ever have when the batteries go dead and they make that annoying beeping noise and you got like 10 smoke detectors in the house and you don't know which one it is. <laughs> so you climb up on a ladder and you change the the battery out of this one and you put a new battery in you sit down and then it goes off again it's another one those batteries in those smoke detectors are lifesavers now here's the thing about good guilt good guilt is guilt that is speaking to you about getting back on track getting back on track if you uh, if you ignore good guilt and good guilt speaks to you and is telling you, hey, you're out of line here. You're, you're, you know, you're, you're, in the, you're on the shoulder of the road here. You're going in toward the ditch. And that guilt is speaking to you. You keep ignoring it and you ignore it and ignore it and ignore it. What happens? The Bible talks about a seared conscious, a callous conscious. In other words, we just kind of like ignore our good guilt. We keep doing stuff we shouldn't do. And as we're doing the stuff we shouldn't do, we're deadening our conscience. That's why 
When my conscience speaks to me, it's like E.F. Hutton, I listen. I listen to my conscience. And good guilt, here's, the, here's what good guilt does for us. Good guilt is guilt that speaks to us about something we're not supposed to do. And it's protecting us just the way your battery in your smoke detector is not there to annoy you. It's there to protect you. So when you have your conscience speaking to you about, oh, this relationship's getting out of bounds. I'm talking, spending too much time with this person. Or, you know, you're in business and you're doing business and all that. And you just tell yourself, hey, it's just business. I can lie a little bit. Hey, listen, you're not just a businessman. You're a son of God. You belong to God. You do business in a different way than people that don't know Jesus do business. And when your spirit convicts you, you want to listen to that. So here's what good guilt does. Good guilt gets us back on track. That's all it's there for. Bad guilt is when you feel guilty for something that you're not doing anymore. You're feeling guilty and shameful for something that you quit doing, you've repented of, you have given it up, you've confessed it, you've forsaken it, and you still feel guilty. That is bad guilt because the purpose of guilt, good guilt, is to get you back on track. The light's on the, the dashboard, you're getting the maintenance done in the truck, and good guilt has got you back on track. Bad guilt. Hey, good guilt, here's what good guilt points at. Here's something you did that you shouldn't do. Bad guilt says, you're a loser. You're bad. You're the worst thing that God ever created. You're a loser, and God doesn't love you. He hates you because of what you've done. You are an awful person. That's bad guilt. And bad guilt is like, you know, it doesn't have any purpose. Hey, listen, I want you to know that Jesus took your shame. He took your guilt. And the book of Micah teaches us that he takes our sin, and you've quoted this verse before, but you didn't know where it was. He takes our iniquity and he throws it into the sea, and it sinks to the bottom so we can't see it anymore. I was fishing this summer at the, um, in Lewis in the canal there. Uh, Gene Burton had taught me how to fish for croakers in there, and I was in my little kayak and I was fishing for croakers and had caught a croaker and got the hook out and, and I caught another fish and then my line got all tangled up and I, and I had my knife and I took my knife and I'm trying to cut the line and while I'm trying to cut the line my hand was moist and wet and my good knife slipped right out of my hand and went right into the canal and sunk to the bottom. Gone. The knife is gone. Told Karen, need new knife for Christmas. I mean, I lost my good knife. And you know what? That knife is gone. I can't see it. I don't know where it is. And some people, when they have confessed their sin and they repented of their sin, they get scuba gear on and they go into where the sea of forgetfulness is and they try to find their sin. There is no purpose, no redeeming purpose for bad guilt. Good guilt gets me back on track. Bad guilt 
keeps me tied down so I can't move forward. And if you're struggling with bad guilt from stuff you did in 2023 and stuff that's, you know, you just regret that you did, you need to bring that to the cross. You need to ask the Lord to forgive you. You need to come in full humility and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and he will forgive you of your sins and he will cast that sin into the sea of forgetfulness and it is done with. What did Jesus say on the cross? He said when he finished on the cross, the last thing he said, it is finished, it's done. I had a Christian leader come to me one time that had really uh, messed up and he came to me and he had come back to church, hadn't been going to church because he'd messed up and so ashamed to come to church. And so he came to Bayshore and sat in the back. And then after a while, he thought he would, uh, you know, come talk to me about some things. And he started talking to me and he came in with all this shame and all this guilt and, and, and he had repented of what he had done. He had taken responsibility for what he had done. And I remember sitting there with him one day, in one of the sessions, and he's covered with bad guilt. He's got bad guilt. It's not good guilt, it's bad guilt. You're no good. You're a loser. There's something wrong with you. And I remember looking him in the eye and I said, you know what your problem is? I said, your problem is pride. Your problem is pride because you think that the cross is good enough for everybody else, but you are called to a higher standard and you should have never done that. And what you did is unforgivable. I want you to know that you are filled with pride and you need to go to the cross because it doesn't matter who you are. Everybody has to come to the cross to receive forgiveness because it's the only way any of us can be forgiven. Can you say a big amen? Doesn't matter if you're the Pope. Doesn't matter if you teach Sunday school. It doesn't matter who you are. We all have to come to the cross and humble ourselves at the cross and say, Lord, I have sinned and I've fallen short of your glory. So in the book of, book of Micah, we see that Israel had royally messed up, had real, royally sinned against Yahweh. And when they sinned, things got real complicated for them. And after things got real complicated, they came to themselves and they asked the Lord to forgive them. And then the Lord sent them Nehemiah and Ezra who led them back to the very land where they had been expelled from. So he took them back to the place of failure where they had really failed and there he rebuilt their life. He rebuilt the walls, he rebuilt the temple, he reestablished their government. So the thing about God, what he teaches us in the book of Micah, is that God is just not interested in forgiving us. He's not just interested in forgiving us of our sins, but he is interested in putting our life back together again, restoring us, restoring us. Every Sunday when I preach at uh, whatever campus I preach at, I talk to people every week that, you know, tell me, you know, Danny, I've gone through this and I've done this and I've really messed up and, and there's no hope for me and there's no hope that I can be forgiven. I've messed up so bad. And I just want you to know that the truth of the gospel, it doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. Where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And God's grace is sufficient for all of us. So the Bible says that in the book of Micah, the wonderful picture that's painted here is you see these people that have so 
uh, in a, such a big way, turned away from God, and then the judgment has come, the ripples of their consequences of their sins has happened in their life. And then in the process of them going through that, they come to themselves like the prodigal son, and they say, hey, we're going to come home. We're going to come home. And, you know, the Bible is all about a coming home story. You know, the Israelites in the book of Micah, the Old Testament, were expelled from their homeland. They were expelled from their homeland. And after a period of time, repentance, and, they, and the Lord sent leaders, and they came back home. They came back home. It's the prodigal son story. You know, the prodigal son, the guy that, you know, he had a great relationship with his father. He had everything. Everything was great. He had a wonderful life. He had a, you know, wonderful house he lived in, a wonderful job. We lived on a big farm. Probably had four wheelers he rode everywhere. He had a wonderful, incredible life. And then he turned away from his father and he went to the far country and he got involved in all kinds of stuff. And, and the further he got away from his father, the more complicated his life became. The further he got away from his father, the more complicated his life becomes. And the, more f the further you and I get away from our father, the more complicated our life gets. The closer we are to our father, the simpler our life is. And I've been in both places. I've been away from the father and being away from the Father, I know my life gets so complicated. It gets so convoluted, and it's so stressful. But when I come back to the Father, and I walk close to the Father, the simpler my life comes. My life becomes simpler because I'm closer to my Father. So the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all about being dislodged from your home, put in a foreign land, life becoming complicated, and then finally coming back home, coming back to that place of peace. And that's what you see in the book of Micah. The book of Micah says he's, he predicts it. He predicts it with precision. He says the day is coming when you will come back and you will rebuild these walls. You'll rebuild these walls. Not only are you forgiven, but I will rebuild your life. I'll rebuild your life. I remember one time I was, uh, I was in, uh, had flown on a trip. I was, got snowed in in Nashville, Tennessee, and then I was flying. I finally got, after a day or two, got out of Nashville and flew to Baltimore, BWI Airport. And I remember it was this terrible blizzard, and there was just snow everywhere, and the roads were all closed, and I was determined to get home. I was determined to get home. And I remember getting in the church van. We had the, the brown and tan church van. And, man, I couldn't hardly see the roads. I just kept myself between telephone poles. And I kept driving home. And it was, like, not the smartest thing to do in the world, but I wanted to get home. And I remember finally getting to Bridgeville and making my way on 13 and finally down Route 20 and finally getting home. It was such an incredible feeling to be home. And Micah's about people that are going to get to come home. And if you are away from the Lord and you've lost your bearings in life and if life has gotten complicated for you, your heart's longing to come home. Your heart's longing to come back to the Father, to know the Father, to be close to the Father because when I'm close to the Father, my life becomes simple. And when I'm far from the Father, my life becomes complicated. So Micah says, 
I'll cast your sins, your iniquity, into the sea. And then Micah says, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I've fallen, I will rise again. Though I've been in darkness, I will once again stand in the light and I will see his righteousness. Years ago, I went uh, to uh, Salisbury Hospital to visit somebody in the hospital. And I was working at the office here at that time. And I remember going to uh, Salisbury Hospital, Tidal Health now, I don't know what it was called then. And I went to visit somebody. It's in the spring. And I come out of the hospital and I'm coming down on the sidewalk to go to my car, and there's these window cleaners up there cleaning the windows. And, and, and the hospital, the main building of the hospital in Salisbury, I think is five stories high. And I'm standing there, and the guy is all the way at the fifth floor uh, on the outside washing those windows, and he's swinging back and forth washing those windows. And the other guys on the other side swinging, and they're way up there. And I'm standing there looking at it, looking at this urban experience. I'm living in Gumboro, so this is an urban experience for me. And, and this guy comes in, and he stands next to me. He said, man, that is something. He said, they're more of a man than I would be. And I said, well, speak for yourself, buddy. I could do that, you know, no problem. <laughs> He walks away, and then I had this thought, if you're going to fall, what better place to fall than in front of a hospital? <laughs> if you're going to fall, what better place to fall than in front of a hospital? Galatians 6.1 says, if anyone should be called in a sin, let him who is spiritual restore him, guarding themselves lest they should be tempted. I love that verse because it talks not only about forgiveness, but it talks about restoration, being restored to a full life. Joel says, Joel the prophet says, I will give back to you the years that the locusts have eaten. I'll restore your life. I'll forgive you. What God is like this God? Micah says, what God is like this God? A God who pardons all of our iniquities. A God who forgives all of our sins. A God who gives us a fresh start. So in 2024, as we start this new year, one of the things we reset, as we reset our mind with Paul, this one thing I do, I forget that which is past, and I move on toward that which is the future. If you got some good guilt in your life, the Lord's speaking to you about some stuff, good guilt. All that good guilt's there for is to get you back on track. Get back on track. If you got bad guilt, beating yourself up, telling yourself you're no good, that is a lie from Satan. I don't know how many times in my Christian life I've gone to Micah 7, 
When the enemy would come and say, hey, listen, you said something you shouldn't have said, and you messed up royally, and you're never going to get out of this mess you're in. You've made such a mess. And I'll quote that verse, do not gloat over me, my enemy. Though I have fallen, I will rise again. Though I've been in darkness, I will be in the light and see his righteousness. Do not gloat over me, my enemy, for I will rise. And this is a year to rise up from the past and let the Spirit of the Lord work in your life. Would you raise your hands to the God of grace, the grace of God that transcends understanding and possible for us to comprehend the magnificent grace of God, the magnificent love of God that's given to us. Not only to forgive us, not only to remind us never to go looking for that sin in the sea again, it's gone. It's, it's completely at the bottom of the sea. It's unaccessible. But a God who restores us, restoring people to ministry that felt like they couldn't be used by God anymore. Restoring people to a witness in the community that feels like they've lost their witness and they can't be a witness anymore. Lord, you're restoring people to be a witness in the community. You're restoring people to be a witness in their family because they've fallen short and drifted away from your plan. So, Father, we receive your grace today. And let's say this together, all of us together. Let's say, Lord God, your grace is sufficient for my mistakes. I am rising up and standing in the light. Jesus' name, amen and amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Bayshore Podcast. I want to encourage you to take this message you just received and allow it to go deep into your soul and let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thanks to everyone that gives generously to Bayshore. It's because of you that this ministry is possible, creating life change all over the world. You can be a part of spreading the message around the world by going to bayshore.online and clicking give. For all things Bayshore, visit bayshore.online to find out what your next step may be. You can subscribe right here and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thank you again for listening. God bless you.